0: Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable to you, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Welcome to St. Peter's. Good morning and happy Mother's Day. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. I'm a book person. That, that may surprise some of you. Um, <laughs> but you know, there are the movie people and the book people. The, the book people are the ones who want to read the book first and see the movie, and they're kind of disappointed by the movie. And the movie people are the kind of people who want to see the movie first and then read the book, and they're kind of disappointed by the book. So I thought in 2010, in the era of multimedia, we'd we take a poll here. How many people here are book people? Ooh, okay. Yeah, all over 50. All right. Uh, <laughs> how many people there are movie people? Okay. A few. All right, well, I'm, I feel like I'm in good company then. Um, but I'm actually going to talk to you first about a movie that I thought that got it righter than the book. Uh, several weeks ago, we were down visiting uh, Sarah and Andrew in Washington, and we went to see Percy Jackson and the Olympians. And those of you who want to dis- discourse about the fact that my family only sees movies that are appropriate to preteens and below, we can talk about that later. Um, but Percy Jackson and the Olympians is about a boy who, uh, turns out, to be uh, the son of Poseidon and uh, there were lots of sons of the Greek gods running around as as we know uh, and they were, they were heroes. But this is a modern day story about the same sort of thing and he ends up getting shipped off to a camp for the sons and daughters of gods and goddesses. Uh, and at one point fairly near the beginning of the movie where he's beginning to discover his hero powers. He's in a fight with someone, uh, bronze swords and everything, and gets knocked down. Looks like he's out of the fight. You know, the ref is... You can see the ref kind of there counting. One, two. He's the son of Poseidon, and he draws his strength from the water. He's lying on on the edge of a creek... And the, the, in the book, it's described differently and not as well. In the movie, you can see him straining, reaching, just to try to get one tip of one finger into the water. And, of course, when he does, up he jumps, wins the fight, and it's great. The Gospel is about the same thing. In the story today, Jesus is in Jerusalem, uh, and he's walking past the pool of Bethsaida, Bethsatha, Bethesda, whatever you want to call it. And that's a pool that had the reputation for healing. You might be interested to know that the National Naval Hospital is actually in Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, It had the reputation for healing. And the way you could get healed at that pool was when the water was stirred up. If you got to the pool first, you would be healed of your infirmity. If you got to the water second, you were out of luck. There was a man there who'd been lying there in one of the porticos, one of the porches around the pool, for 38 years. For 38 years, he'd been lying there And when the water was stirred up, he would get up, and he was infirm somehow. The stories call him a paralyzed person, but there's not any evidence that that was his particular problem. And he tries to get to the pool. But every time he tries to get to the pool, he strains to get one piece of one limb into that pool. Somebody steps down into the pool before him and he has to wait until the next time that the pool is stirred up. And he'd been doing that for 38 years. So let's see, 38 years before the time of that healing, um, Caesar Augustus was elevated to the role of a demigod. He was already emperor, but now he was going to represent Rome to the people. So that was when... uh, this man had started lying by the pool of Bethsaida. 33 years before his healing, Mary met an angel in a small town in Galilee and was told that she'd bear the Son of God. The man was still lying there, five years after he'd started lying there. 32 years before the man was healed, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, closer than Galilee, but still pretty far from Jerusalem. 30 years before the healing, wise men from the East came to visit Jesus. Jesus was an infant years old 20 years before the man was healed Jesus was in Jerusalem he was in the temple lost but in the temple um, talking with the sages there but he wasn't at the pool of Bethsaida and he was still a boy 10 years ago Jesus was working in a carpenter shop in Galilee Two years before the healing, Jesus was turning water into wine in Cana, in Galilee, as far away from Jerusalem as you can get in ancient Israel. And the man was still lying there. One year before the healing, Jesus was in Jerusalem, but not at the pool of Bethsaida, He was turning over things in the temple and chatting with Nicodemus, but he didn't go to the pool of Bethsaida, and still the man lay there. Finally, today, Jesus does come to the pool, does see the man who's been lying there now for 38 years. The man doesn't even need to get to the pool. Jesus orders him to his feet, sends him on his way. He's healed. If it hadn't been for Jesus, that man would never have been healed. He'd still be lying there, waiting, stretching out his limbs, trying to get to the pool first. Well, one year after the man's healing, Jesus would return to Jerusalem for the last time. He'd be betrayed, crucified, died, buried, and be resurrected. And this coming week, we're going to celebrate the Feast of the Ascension, when Jesus is going to ascend into heaven and will no longer be walking the earth. Healing at the human hands of Jesus will no longer be possible. Would that man have been waiting forever to get to the pool to be able to stand up? No. God had been providing the miracle all the way along for 38 years. There's a gloss in the text in John that's not included in our Bible that explains a little bit more about what went on at the pool of Bethsaida. And it says that an angel of the Lord went down at certain times into the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well from whatever disease that person had. So... God had been providing that miracle at the pool for 38 years and for years before that. All the man needed was someone to move him to the pool. For 38 years, he had lain in his portico in full view as the world passed around him. And for 38 years, no one had bothered to stop no one had bothered to help him. No one had been the miracle for him. We were in Vancouver this last week. It's a beautiful city. It sits right on the water on the west coast. Um, you can look across the bay to some beautiful mountains so you can be in Vancouver. Sometimes it's warm, I hear. It wasn't when we were there. Uh, And look up at the mountains, and there's snow on the top of the mountains right across the bay. It's a beautiful city. Very livable, very pretty. But like any big city, it is filled with the broken. Some of these people are physically broken. Like the woman begging, sitting on the seat of her walker, right in front of the Pan Pacific Hotel on the waterfront. 250 bucks a night. There's somebody begging outside it. Many of the other people that I saw on the street there are broken in a less definable way. The people with the anxious, desperate faces holding out the empty cups, still a little bit of coffee in the bottom, wanting a coin. The seedy, dirty, homeless men in the park. It's a beautiful park with a little homeless encampment. Donna had a nice chat with some of them. You, Those of you who know Donna won't be surprised at that. Um, the same men nursing a coffee in the warmth of the 24-hour McDonald's. Some of these broken people have been lying in their porticos for years. And no one has bothered to stop. Well, Jesus calls us to stop. In John's version of the ascension commissioning, Jesus tells the disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Or again, just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. Where the other Gospels appeal to us to see Jesus in others, John appeals to us to be Jesus to others. Jesus calls us to stop, to tend to others without judging, like a mother tends to her child. Jesus calls us to pick up the broken, to bring them to the pool of his healing. God will provide the healing, but he calls us to do some of the lugging. Now, that's not very easy. That job is sometimes dirty. It's sometimes distasteful, it's often thankless, it's apparently fruitless. I can promise you that those that somebody's lugged those homeless men at McDonald's to the very edge of the water a hundred times. And every time they've turned away and gone back to the bottle. The job brings us too close to our own demons, brings us too close sometimes to our own mortality. But if God asks us to do it, God will also provide us with the strength to do it. Why is this so important? Why do we need to act this way to others? Well, because The Gospel of John tells us that this is the way the kingdom of God comes to us. In our reading from Revelation today, St. John the Divine, another John, don't get the two Johns mixed up, looked forward to a kingdom of God sometime in the future, in some perfect time. In contrast, John, the author of the Gospel, saw the possibility of new life if we would love one another now. If we love one another, the kingdom of God is now. Finally, in today's reading from Acts, Paul, who's a man of great faith, hears a plea in a dream, in a dream and responds to it by crossing the Mediterranean Sea. Not a small task, even today. I don't have that kind of faith, to cross the Mediterranean on the strength of a dream. But I pray, however, that God will give me the faith to be able to respond when the plea comes from someone right in front of me. For every time one of us responds as Jesus would have us do, we bring the kingdom of God closer, right here, right now. Amen.